Hello, everybody. You have found your way to Hope Lafferty's Existential Crisis, the podcast for creativity and other phenomena. I listened back to my last episode and the cultural references I made. I want to deem Hope Lafferty's Existential Crisis as an exploration in unpopular culture. I can do that. It's my podcast. When I worked at WZBC in Boston when I was in college, their evening music programming was classified as no commercial potential. Lots of dub and ambient stuff. Great to study too. Offshoots of punk. Stuff that was not popular. Dare I say fringe. The bleeding edge of rock. Well, here I sit at the microphone of existence ruminating about stuff nobody's ever heard of. Unpopular stuff. Little commercial potential, connecting the dots that few can see. No wonder I need glasses. Well, we start each episode with a recording from the vault, the vault of free rights. This week, we take a trip down memory lane, or is that memoir lane? Well, let's, let's enter the throwback machine to 1992. Tom and I were driving down I-93 South out of Boston. Tom bought cigars since he didn't drink. We were both acting out, escaping our long-term relationships for some sibling-like bonding with, shall we say, flexible boundaries. We drove past Ho Chi Minh City and blazed up. The first puff was funny. Having spent many winter nights smoking camels not so ironically with the Chicago socialists, inhaling tar and nicotine was no great thrill. A few weeks ago, I had a camel on a lark at Elizabeth's place, Tom's partner, up on the North Shore, and I couldn't sleep a stitch. It wasn't that smoking with the socialists was boring. To the contrary. Being the only woman in a sea of dark, sardonic, left-leaning men, the conversations and naturally occurring other activities were generally quite stimulating. No, I just never smoked without a drink. And since Elizabeth, like Tom, didn't drink, although for very different reasons, I realized that nicotine was indeed the stimulant that I'd been hearing so much about. But we all know, no one really inhales a cigar. So there I was after the fifth puff, realizing that this essentially was the equivalent of gaseous chaw, staring out the night window, thinking and then stating, this cigar smoking really tastes bad. Tom agreed as we debated what to do about these failed rolled smoking cocktails. We kept smoking for another inch until we just could not bear it. Found a rest stop outside of Providence, dug through our luggage, and raced with toothpaste and toothbrush to the gender-specified restrooms. Can't imagine what cognac and a cigar would leave your mouth tasting like, but I suspect that's the primary reason those folks don't get laid. Freud was right. Yet, so was Lacan in his statement that sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Or was that Foucault? No, perhaps it was Lewinsky. But that got edited out of the Barbara Walters special.
all call memories memoir, memoirs, <laughs> because they all get a little slurry, especially when it comes to quote attribution. Freud, Lacan, Foucault, how many original texts of theirs did I read? Not enough, apparently. It all gets postmoderned out. Well, let's talk about memoir for a minute. Aside from plays, memoir and essay are my favorite things to read. They're also my favorite things to write, if you couldn't guess. I mean, even my plays, spoiler alert, creative nonfiction. My writing students spend a lot of time free writing. That's the key method of my classes, both for my theatric writers and for my scientific writers. And to be clear, I'm not encouraging my scientific writing students to make stuff up. The rigor of the science and the medical research is the baseline to uphold in their writing. But I encourage free writing as a practice because a lot of scientific writers take their writing ability for granted and only write when they are working, when they're on a project. This kind of PRN, as-needed writing, does not a writer make. I want to turn my students into writers, real writers. Whether it's a Tony Award-winning play or a Pulitzer Prize-winning article or an approved IND, I don't care. It's not about the outcome. It's about the process. It's about the habit. It's about the practice. If you want to be a writer, playwright, medical writer, memoirist, you've got to write. But back to the memoir idea. When my students free write, I find that many of them use the time as journaling, writing about themselves and their concerns, reflecting on their brain, their existential crises. This is natural, especially with young minds. Well, to move from the personal to the creative, going from local to global takes work. Doing it with specificity and humanity that's the trick. That's the work. That, for me at least, is the fun. Welcome to This Week in Existence. In re-upping this podcast, I've been writing a lot, talking to myself on long drives, and listening to the old episodes. I risk repeating myself from not working on this project, uh, meaning the podcast, uh, for quite some time. The stories that I've told are a bit rusty. Plus, I'm not in conversation with many people these days, and the people I am speaking with are losing their language. Not all 80-year-olds have this problem, but my 80-year-olds do. So I need to watch that, make sure my creativity and my vocabulary remain vibrant amid the stasis. Stay smart. Now, what is considered smart? Well, did I mention the throwback machine? 
I excavated this next script, or at least this part of a script, um, this unrecorded script from spring 2019, just when everything was heating up with the launch of my first theater company and the shows and the fundraising to put on the shows. So I dropped off the existential map for a spell, but I found this and made some updates. So let's see how this goes, shall we? There's this test that's been going around on our various social media platforms lately that uh, you might have seen. The Five Love Languages. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote this book a few years ago, and he's a marriage counselor, and it looks like an all-around good egg. One of his other books is titled Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Got Married, which I might retitle uh, Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Got Married the First Time or the Second Time. Or if I'm being honest, maybe I'd call it things I knew and actively tried to deny before each time I got married. But uh, this is not about my unwritten books, nor is it about Dr. Chapman's book. It's more about these five love languages, which I feel compelled to mention is a registered trademark. But a couple of women friends of mine and I were talking about our particular love styles. They run as follows. Number one, words of affirmation to be verbally acknowledged. Number two, quality time to enjoy your companionship. Number three, receiving gifts to be given tokens of love. Number four, acts of service to have your partner do tasks for you. And number five, physical touch, to be in contact with the body. I don't know if you're loving somebody. I only know it isn't mine. Thank you, Elvis Costello, for one of the sexiest lyrics in human history. But these all sound really good, don't they? This quiz went around social media, and it still might be going around social media. For the record, I am a sucker for psychological quizzes. I mean, come on, who doesn't like to be labeled? I'm having this Lucy Van Pelt moment when she's talking to Charlie Brown. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Label it. Not treat it. Not fix it. Not anything beyond acknowledging the mere existence of your deal. Name it as if that concretizes anything. But I digress. These women friends of mine and I were discussing the results of our recent Love Languages quiz. One of my friends really likes gifts. I am not a gift person. I mean, I'll give a gift, I'll pick up the tab... And I often narrowly avoid fistfights because I feel so compelled to pick up the tab. But I don't care about receiving gifts. If you heard my ninth episode, I touch on that issue a bit. This lack of caring about gifts is probably why I've never gotten an engagement ring. As my friends and I kept talking, though, it came out that they both held acts of service in high esteem. 
kind of helping you out, taking out the garbage, making supper. I don't know. What do people want from their intimate partners but for someone to help them? And that was their most important quality in a partner. It's good stuff. When I took the test, receiving gifts scored zero. The top love language for me, though, is physical. I am apparently a very physical person. And I discovered in my conversation with my friends that that is unusual at least amid my excruciatingly small sample size of women friends. I haven't talked to everybody about this, but my primary love language is physical. My secondary one is just about being nice to me, that words of affirmation. And third, someone who is a good hang. So that would be the quality time. Those are the things that are most important to me. The most important things are lots of hugs. And hugs in not only literal, but also euphemistic. Any way I can be physical with somebody, I really kind of like. I'm a hugger. I'm an arm grazer. I've got a firm handshake. I'm a snuggler. Physical touch, physical proximity. I feel fed by touch. Well, getting back to staying smart. It's long been held that humans need four hugs a day to survive. That psychological study of babies in Soviet orphanages and the failure to, to thrive stuff. Up that to eight hugs a day for, as they say, maintenance. 12 hugs a day for growth. And this is for everybody, not just the folks that have physical touch as their love language. So how do we grow, thrive, not only physically, but intellectually with this need, this hunger, this skin hunger? Not in some shame-filled peep show fetish, which has a place in the discussion, even though that's not my jam, I'm talking about the connection, the warmth, the human contact. Folks with kids get this. Even if they get sick of their kids and need a break from time to time, we all need a break. We'd all like a break. Break something. That has been the hardest part of living through this pandemic, the lack of human contact. The thing that we all need the most is a hug, or 12, the very thing we are denied. And we now view everyone as a target. So I have acknowledged the elephant in the room because we'd all rather face the elephant than have a virus in the room. I did not want to introduce the coronavirus into this podcast. Maybe as an aside, but not as a topic. I wanted to adopt the friends model versus the NYPD blue model. 
For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, Friends and NYPD Blue were both hit TV shows in the United States in the late 90s and were very much at the peak of their success in the summer of 2001. Then, two hijacked planes flew into the World Trade Center in New York and a couple of others crashed a couple of other places. This event became known as 9-11. Perhaps you are familiar with this history. I happen to have been living in New York at the time, in Harlem, with a north-facing window. And if you don't know anything about the geography of the island of Manhattan, my apartment was miles away from the attack, which occurred at the bottom of the island, which is to say, south. For me, September 11, 2001, looked like a beautiful, sunny, early autumn day. Then I got the call from my husband, who was at a temp job across the street from the Empire State Building. And without derailing my point today by going into all of his reactions about standing in the shadow of the next tallest building in town, my perspective on the early morning beauty of the day shifted. Back to these two TV shows. Some of you might recall that all entertainment TV came to a screeching halt. News, 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 and more news. Of course, we knew we'd need entertainment again. I, in fact, went ahead with a planned taping of one of my keynote talks that next week, albeit with shifted focus and lower enthusiasm. But we recognized the import of this historic event and the importance of being entertained. Who we was, we were, who I mean by we, let's go with the understanding that I'm talking about the collective unconscious. The collective unconscious as manifest in the minds of television producers. Just how do we enter back on the scene with something light and entertaining when we are in the throes of the strangest event of our lifetime? David Letterman took the first step in reopening the gates to my memory, to my memoiry, and he did it with finesse. If that episode of Late Night is still floating around on the internet somewhere, It might be curious to see how it stands the test of time. But other shows, particularly those set in New York, namely Friends and NYPD Blue, were undergoing their own existential crises. Do we acknowledge the attacks and the devastating effects that 9-11 had on the neighborhoods portrayed in the shows, offering some form of tribute and solidarity? Or do we continue with the creative thread of the show with an eye toward timelessness and, arguably, syndication? Each took a different path with stark results. NYPD Blue embraced the crisis 
diving deep into the drama and the frenzy as it had the reputation of doing. So in showing its solidarity, it actually continued its creative thread. Amid cast changes and whatever else went on in the David Milch camp, I felt that that season lost its footing, maybe because I viewed it as someone who was also on the ground in New York, on the ground zero, as it were. So anyone who tried to give perspective to that moment, while many of us were still processing that moment, would invariably come up short. Kind of like what I'm doing now. The series recovered, but the syndication has not. Friends, some of you might be familiar with that show, took another tack. The creative team on that show decided to continue with the narrative arc already established, and aside from a thoughtful note in the closing credits of their season opener, no mention was ever made either directly or in allusion to 9-11. We've seen how that has affected its shelf life. So, in the spirit of planned obsolescence, let's delve. Delve into the context of this moment of recording. Crisis. That is part of what we explore in this process, and sheltering in place is the ultimate existential crisis, or existential process. Many of my friends are discovering Viktor Frankl and his book, Man's Search for Meaning. I also encourage reading any of Rollo May's works. Love and Will is a favorite, a long favorite of mine. These were Cold War books for me. Perhaps we're now in the COVID war. Much like the Cold War, there's a lot of standing around, staring each other down. It's all about how we perceive each other, who the enemy is, and how we crawl into our beds at night feeling isolated with low-grade fear. Yikes. Mm. Must be time to watch some reruns of Friends. Talk about needing a hug. Man, oh man, oh, we cannot put this period behind us fast enough. In the meantime, and don't you love that turn of phrase? It really feels like we are in the mean time. All levels of the word. Cruel? Yes. Loaded with significance? Yes but definitely not average. But in this meantime, music for Hope Lafferty's existential process has always been composed by musician and producer out of Marfa, Texas, Andy Schneider. Big shout-outs to Marfa Theater Incubator and the production studios at the Little House 
here in central New York. And I want to thank you all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for responding. Thanks for relishing those you can hug. Thanks for remembering those you used to hug. Thanks for embracing your love language. Your listenership shows me that you are a quality hang. So, even if I can't hug you right now, we are speaking the same language. Now, this week's closing mantra, I've got some questions. Ask yourselves, how do you love? What is your love language? Use this mean time, this COVID war, to figure that out. Do you like gifts? Giving them, receiving them, both? Do you like somebody to take out the garbage for you? Or plunge the toilet? Or kill the spider? Or wear their mask? Do you like to be told you're pretty without asking? Do you need a hug? Well... I'll put checks in the yes column for all of those. And many, many checks in the hug column. Rain checks, as it were. Tweet me at the Hope Crisis. And as always, people, look after yourselves.